Welcome to the Lion's Den University Report. This program brings you a behind-the-scenes look at the spiritual life on today's university and college campuses. Now here's your host, Glenn Bailey. My guest for this broadcast, Dr. Jay Richards, and we're continuing our interview. He's a professor at Catholic University of America. And uh, Jay, welcome again to our microphones. Great to be with you, Glenn. And uh, you have written a, a book, uh, your latest book, called The Human Advantage. Mm-hmm. And we want to spend a little time talking about the content of that book, that uh, yeah. we believe human life is, uh, we've talked about the pro-life movement, yeah. sacred. You know, right. uh, We're made in the image of God. And, and it's also uh, a challenge to racism, that, uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, that uh, we're made in God's image. And it's, that doesn't matter what the color of your skin is. Uh, and heaven's going to be some of every tribe and tongue and <laughs> people right. and nation, so you better get used to it. That's right, right. exactly. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> if you're a Christian, they're your brothers yeah, and sisters that's, in yeah, Christ. That's a, that's a non-negotiable. Yeah. And uh, so uh, those things uh, are needed today. And actually, yeah. we're talking uh, about the flaws in evolution in this Science mm-hmm. and Faith Conference, and that's one of the flaws, that uh, yeah. uh, the subtitle of Dar- Darwin's Origin of Species was the uh, the survival of favored races yes. through natural selection. Yeah, and nobody you, quotes that no, part. No, they don't like to quote that part. They don't like to talk about what he said in his later book, The Descent of Man, either. I mean, right. you know, uh, unfortunately, Darwin's theory gave rise not just to some bad uh, biology, but actually to some bad sociology and bad public policy, really bad public policy in the form of eugenics in the, the 20th century. But um, my book, The Human Advantage, is really an, a, a, I, my attempt to address this question of, okay, first of all, are machines really going to replace us? Are they okay. going to take all the jobs? Right. Uh, and all the robots are going to be able to do everything we can. Artificial intelligence, is it going to, are the computers going to wake up and become conscious and make <laughs> us obsolete? Or right. maybe we'll merge ourselves, as Ray Kurzweil says, and sort of upload ourselves just as uh, the singularity comes right. in 2043. All this kind of uh, so the claims. So the Bible says we're made in the image of God, so exactly. we're, not, we're not just animals. And we're not just machines. Above the animals, and yeah. then we're not going to become just machines. No, exactly, but and that's, you actually, you, you uh, identified the key assumption in this debate, because I often tell people, you might think when you're thinking about artificial intelligence that you're dealing with technology, but the real rub of the debate is a kind of philosophical or theological question, and it's, are human beings, you know, is man a machine or something else? Because right. if we're just a machine, if we're, you know, our brain is a, a computer made of meat, as a computer mm-hmm. scientist Marvin Minsky said, right? Mm. Um, then you might say, well, we're the sort of result of this blind, purposeless evolutionary process. We eventually became conscious and we can build technology. And so if that's true and we became this way in that way, why couldn't we design machines that would surpass us so that we're just kind right. of a temporary stage? So you see how easily that follows if you assume that we are a machine that was the result of this blind process. But if that's not true, uh, then the whole thing falls apart. And so I spent a, a lot of time, really, I mean, ultimately the question is, is man a machine or not? And if mm-hmm. not, um, then, then what that means is we can build machines. We're machine makers. We're not just homo sapiens, we're homo faber. We're man the maker. We make machines. But what's weird about high technology is how often, rather than saying, wow, what what is man that we're able to make uh, yeah. tech, you know, machines of such amazing and that's complexity? Part of the image of God. And part of the image of God, that, the that creativity. We can create. Exactly. Yeah. We're creatures made in the image of the Creator. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what we should be thinking. Instead, we attribute consciousness and meaning and grandeur to the machines and we demote ourselves. And that's the kind of weird 
it's a weird kind of false consciousness that you have if you have the wrong worldview when it comes to technology. And so I'm convinced that if you want to understand technology, you have to have a good anthropology. You have to understand what is the human person. And so the book is, is mainly about, okay, what's going to happen uh, in the next 30 years with jobs? What are we going to, how are we going to need to adjust, really? Because right. I do think, on the one hand, there are many things we're doing right now that machines will do. Uh, if your long-term plan is to be an Uber driver, I, I'd get a plan B because, okay. you know, in Pittsburgh, you know, Uber already has self-driving fleet of Volvos. Right. Um, that technology is already here. If, you're, if your long-term plan is to do a highly repetitive job, either in a factory or in an office setting, those, the, the machines are coming for those jobs. It's right. just a matter of time. Mm -hmm. And so the question is, um, now that, that's been true ever since we first invented the first piece of technology, is that yeah. what technology does, if it's useful, is it gives us a way to do something better or more efficiently than now, we did it before. Do you deal with the question of whether we should do that? No, no, exactly. I mean, well, it, it, there's never, um, you know, any particular technology uh, sort of makes something possible. But I, do, I think on sort of economic grounds, very often people say, well, let's, Let's not let this happen. But it's um, that's almost always a bad idea. The costs of that and the harm long term uh, to that economically are almost always worse uh, than the benefits. And mm -hmm. so um, if you look at, you know, in 1776, right, 95% of the population lived and worked on farms. Today it's about less than 1.5%. And right. so you may look at all those jobs that were destroyed. Do we have 94% unemployment? Well, no, of course yeah. not. Because yeah. what happened is the cost of food went way down, and that created entirely new markets for new services and new products. And so most people now have jobs that were way better than the jobs they had in 1776. And so the temptation now is to say whatever particular way of doing something is getting to becoming obsolete we want to try to preserve that but mm -hmm. what we really want to do is we want to figure out how to adjust right. um, uh, to new and more productive ways of working because the truth of the matter is if a machine can do something way cheaper then you can do it. Why are you doing that? You yeah. know, I mean, that's the sort of thing. My, my daughter sometimes says, you know, I feel like my class, I'm doing something that a machine should do. And it's oh. like, well, that's true. You should be doing something. As, as economists say, you want to focus on your comparative advantage. And so right. that's my argument is what we want to do is not try to compete with the things that machines will be able to do, but uh, use them for the things that we're actually able to uh, get them to do. But don't assume that they're going to replace everything that human beings can do. In fact, they're not going to replace anytime soon, even complex bodily movements. I mean, Amazon has fulfillment factories in which you've got forklifts that run themselves completely and don't need right. anybody to control them. But at the very last stage, when the forklift needs, it, they don't have robots that can take the product and put it in a box because mm -hmm. this complex feedback, every third, you know, every three-year-old child is able to pick things up, right? And, well, that's toilet paper roll, and that's right. a glass, and that's mm -hmm. a bottle of Coke, and that's a cookie because they're looking at it, right? We know how hard and heavy it is. We don't have robots that can do that. So mm -hmm. any kind of complex bodily movement um, that you do, is, it's going to be, it's very hard to mechanize that. So I tell people, right. look, if you're in a sort of blue-collar context and you think you'll be doing labor, get a skilled trade. Don't just get a repetitive factory job. Develop a skilled trade. Electricians, there's a, there's a shortage of electricians in most places in the country. So those kinds of jobs, if anything, there's going to be a premium on those. Uh, and there's going to be a premium on people jobs. So if I, you know, IBM's Watson is already doing an amazing job of diagnosing 
illnesses and mm -hmm. is quickly going to learn how to actually read x-rays and things like right. that. Yeah. Um, and so what, what's going to happen is that the actual diagnosing is going to get moved to the machine. Mm -hmm. The human interaction part of the doctor's skill is actually going to, uh, uh, you know, it's going to, it's going to be a premium on that. And so if, right. if the machine can diagnose you, are you going to go to the doctor that acts like a robot or the one that <laughs> knows how to talk to you? Yeah. And so people skills, I think, if are, they're actually going to be much more valuable than they even are now. Okay. So what are the, the limits of what you see f f machines doing, or do you deal with that in the book? Absolutely, yeah. And so essentially anything, um, I say, what, so what is it that makes humans different from machines? Well, um, for one thing, we have consciousness. We are subjects, right, that have intentions. And so to be a, to be a subjective conscious agent means that you can, first of all, you have self-awareness. You have first-person uh, perspective, right? You can think about yourself and things right. like this. You can act for purposes. So you can deliberate and act for a purpose to achieve a particular end. And because we can do that, we can actually in some ways rewire ourselves. And that's what virtue is. You know, if I decide every day I'm going to get up on time and I'm going to get to class on time, the first few times I do that, it's frustrating and hard because I don't want to do it. I want to sleep. I eventually develop a habit. And if you develop a habit and you do it long enough, it becomes a part of who you are. Now, that's only possible for free beings. Really, I would argue beings made in the image of God to have this capacity. Right. That's not a capacity that a machine is just going to somehow pick up. Yeah. The machines work not at the level of meaning, you know, to put it technically. They work at the, the level of symbols and syntax, but they don't know what's happening. Right. And these are, we make the machines to do that. And so anything that requires the development of certain kinds of virtue, for instance, is always going to be, on the re be beyond the reach of machines. So I argue that there's actually key virtues in the information economy that you want to develop. The biggest one is what I call creative freedom. And creative freedom is where you look for a job that needs to be done. That is, look for the things that people need, the needs out there that actually need to be met. Uh, and then you develop and focus on the skills that are needed to be able to accomplish that. That's what humans are going to do. And I, I think if we, if we play it right, machines will allow us to do that better. And 50 years from now, we'll find that we're actually much more productive and there's far less poverty. Um, and we'll have all sorts of things to do that at the moment we can't even imagine. Just right. as most, what we're doing right here. No one in 70, 76, you couldn't have even described what we're doing, right? All the sure. technologies. And that's what's, that's the actual kind of history of, of economics and technology is that, yeah, certain ways of doing things become obsolete and get replaced by new ways of doing things. That changes the economic situation in the market and then completely new ways, new things to do actually emerge because we're, we're infinitely creative. I mean, God has created us in his image to be able to create in the first command after be fruitful and multiply was he told, yeah, he put, up, put, put them in the garden to till and to keep it. So I think that this kind of productive work, the purposeful work is, it's not a part of the fall. It's a part of God's creative mandate. The till and keep it command happened before the fall. Right, sure. And the other aspect I think perhaps you, I don't know if you've dealt with in the book or you might share uh, your thoughts on is mm -hmm. the conscience. Yes. Uh, that we have a moral no, capability absolutely. and that we violate. Uh, that, and that's why we need Jesus. <laughs> that's uh, exactly we, right. We need a savior from yeah. sin. And uh, what is that? I mean, what is moral knowledge? I mean, we all know perfectly well it's wrong always and everywhere to tor torture a child for the fun of it, right? We know that. Right. We know it more certainly than we know any truth of history or philosophy or science. Um, and yet, what is that? It's not a material object, obviously. It's not something you would discover in chemistry. Um, and that, that's that's part of being made in the image of God, to be able to, under what philosophers call that moral realism, that, that these moral claims 
are real. They're actual truths. Um, and so, that, I mean, that's why we worry about these things. This is why people worry about, well, wait, if machines do all the work, won't everybody be unemployed? That's a f fair worry. We don't want everybody to be unemployed, right? right it's just sure. a, it tends to be based on a false impression about what technology can and cannot do. Right. Okay. And so uh, the title of your book, The Human Advantage. Yes. And uh, available on Amazon. Absolutely. In any place books are sold. <laughs> okay. And uh, delivered by drones one day. Right? <laughs> yes, exactly. Someday soon. <laughs> but, uh, and uh, so uh, in terms of the uh, university, Catholic University mm -hmm. of America, what would you say is the spiritual climate uh, there on that campus? These it's days? really great. I mean, um, it's funny. Of course, just like any college of its mid or large size, if kids want to goof off and sort of fritter away their lives, it's possible. I mean, it's in Washington, D.C. But there is a worship service or some kind of event like that every half hour someplace on campus, believe it or not, from about 6.30 until 10 at night. Chapels all over the campus, uh, campus ministry. And so um, it's, really, it's really a great place to be. I mean, for Catholics especially, it's, a, it's where the National Basilica is, is mm -hmm. right on campus, which is a very large, like this fourth largest church in the world, I think, is, is I right see. on campus. And so, um, yeah, so it's actually a really, really nice place to be. And I had mentioned in the previous episode that uh, the March for Life camp the campus uh, cancels classes so that students right. and faculty can go to the March for Life, which is terrific. Sure, sure. And uh, so you have the freedom there. And, uh, yes. Uh, that uh, unlike other campuses that Unfortunately. have yeah. started out uh, in uh, promoting these values that many have turned away. No, they do. That's the problem, as, as I think, as you know and have said, so many, certainly private universities and colleges in the United States, almost all started out as Christian institutions. Many of them still have them in their name. Right. Uh, but more often than not, whether Catholic or Protestant, they have they've lost their way, unfortunately. And I think yeah. that's, you know, that's, that's the problem with, I mean, institutions are like organisms, you know, they, right. can, they can get, they can be healthy, they can grow, and they can also get sick and die. And uh, like the uh, our common acquaintance, uh, Daniel Dreisbach, yes. wrote, wrote in his book, uh, Reading the Bible with the Founding Fathers, mm. uh, he says at a certain point uh, around the revolutionary period, uh, all of the major universities, uh, about 100 of them, uh, had as their presidents, Protestant clergy, yes, and exactly. the majority of their faculty were Protestant clergy. <laughs> That's <so>. exactly right. <laughs> and as you know, the Princeton University, until I think 1970, you had to be a Presbyterian elder to be on the board of trustees. Right. That was just in 1970. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. Know. I know. Things can change fast. They and, can. And we pray for revival. But, Absolutely. Uh, that can happen, too, even in, That's in right. the it's 21st good. century. Absolutely important to remember that. My guest for this broadcast, Dr. Jay Richards. Uh, a professor there at the Catholic University of America, author of The Privileged Planet, co-author with Guillermo Gonzalez. And Jay, thanks for joining us today. Great to be with you. You have been listening to the Lion's Den University Reports. If you would like more information about the Christian life or would like to contact the Lion's Den or one of the guests, please write us at the Lion's Den, Post Office Box 226, Mifflinburg, Pennsylvania, 17844 or email ltcldur at yahoo.com.